All right. It's been almost a month, but today we continue with our series on the book of Colossians. And I was wondering if maybe I'd forgotten how to preach, but if my practice of this sermon tells me anything, it is that I have not. And I'm very excited about this message in particular. I, I, I think it's a really, really good unveiling that Paul gives us. So this, this book of Colossians, this small book, can aid us immensely in our need to keep Christ in focus, no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are doing, or how our daily lives might look. And I believe that we will be tremendously blessed by studying this book together. In part two of this series, we looked at the preeminence of Christ. In part three, we looked at the sufficiency of Christ. And today, we are going to look at the call of Christ, the call of Christ, and how that's laid out in verses 24 through 29. Now, the first few verses here talk a little bit about the sufferings of Christ, and we'll be spending time next week looking at that specific topic. So I'm going to kind of breeze through these first few verses, and then we're going to settle down into verses 28 and 29. So Colossians 1.24, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages, in generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so what is this mystery, this mystery hidden for the ages? He continues and he tells us from our scripture text for the day, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery that Paul is talking about here, is Christ in us. Christ in us, which is our hope of glory. And this wasn't just a hope for the Jews, but for all of humanity. And this is something that was unveiled in Christ. And Paul made it a huge part of his, uh, of his ministry to continue to unveil that. And if you'd like a little bit of a deeper dive into that specific topic, then hop onto our YouTube channel and search for a series that I preached earlier this year simply entitled Changes. Changes. And I break that down. And so now, we get to verse 28, and it's here we're going to slow things down, and we're going to mine down a little bit deeper. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So I, I want to focus on those first three words here. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And so, with these three words in mind, I want to present a question that I believe that we should all keep front and center in our daily Christian walk. 
what is our proclamation? What is our proclamation? We do not preach a grace message. We do not preach a grace theology or a grace doctrine. It's a person who is grace. A person who is grace. In Titus 2, we read, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Grace is a person, and that person is Jesus. I've noticed more and more over the years how easily we can miss Jesus, even in the church. We teach morality We teach the Ten Commandments. We teach various doctrines. We do good works. We get involved in helping our communities. We preach a grace message. And all of these are good things. But we must remember that all of those good things are merely a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We proclaim the person of grace. You don't want to miss him. Don't push Jesus to the side. Don't tack him on at the end of some sermon or conversation as an afterthought. Jesus is the main thing, the main thing. It's interesting when you look at Paul's letter to the Galatians that you see that those early Christians, sadly, were returning to the law, returning to something that they could achieve, that they could perform. Yet in chapter one, Paul didn't say that he marveled that they were leaving grace as a theology. He said he marveled that they were leaving him, a person, Jesus. And that should be something that is at the forefront of our minds all the time. Helping the poor, ministering to the sick, studying the Bible, giving a Bible study, etc., etc., those are all byproducts of having a relationship with the person, Jesus. Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us is another one of those byproducts of having a relationship with Jesus. It's the fruit of his life, not something that we pursue independently of him. The Christian life is Jesus Christ in us, experienced by us and expressed through us as we walk in faith. 
And this is how we change the world. We change it by bringing Jesus to other people so that they can have the same relationship with him that we have walking in the Spirit. So we've got to be cautious and mindful that Jesus doesn't get lost in the church and in the good work of the church, which is what happened to some of those early churches that John wrote his letters to in the book of Revelation. Don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first love. If we do great things and teach good doctrine, but leave Jesus on the sidelines, then we've become nothing more than a clanging symbol, having the form of godliness, but lacking the power thereof. Going back to Paul's words to the Colossian church, him we proclaim, a person, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, this phrase here, warning everyone, it's not saying, you better watch out or God's gonna get you. That's not what he's saying here. This word, it means to admonish, to correct, to exhort, to encourage, to motivate. And this is the picture that Paul is trying to paint here. And notice that he says, and we do this with all wisdom. All wisdom. It calls to mind the many times that I've seen street corner preachers with all of their signs and their bullhorns shouting and screaming at passersby. And I, I can't help but wonder what sort of message is actually being conveyed here? What sort of message is actually being conveyed here? As we preach and teach Jesus, we must use wisdom and discernment. And the Spirit will aid us in that if we will simply take time to pray and to listen. To pray and to listen. Let's take a peek at Ephesians 1 and and see some of these other byproducts that come from connection with Jesus. He's just finished talking about how every spiritual blessing is poured out, and he says that they were lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We are given wisdom and insight to understand the purpose and plan of God. And this also corresponds with what John wrote in the book of Revelation. When there was a scroll that was sealed up from the fall of Adam, which shows that because of sin and our separation from God, mankind lost this wisdom and insight into the plans of God. But Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father and to deal with the sin problem, which is exactly why we then see Jesus being the only one who can come in and open that sealed scroll 
And now we, the church, the body of Christ, once again have the wisdom and insight to grasp and to share the plan of God. This plan tells us why, we're, why we were created, to have a relationship with God. It tells us what we lost in Adam, but also what we gained in Christ. Now, dear friends, we understand the meaning of life. It's the biggest question in the world. And we are now positioned to be able to give that answer to others. And it's all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Do you realize what this means? I know a couple of you do. I hear it. (laughs) As spirit-filled Christians, we stand ready to offer people what they need most and to then have their lives transformed through a relationship with Jesus. We are ambassadors of a new kingdom. We are living letters that can bring others the new life that they so desperately need. This whole conversation about the need for Jesus, it leads me to an important issue that I've seen within the church. One of the things that we've tended to do is try and become behavioral modificationists right? Thinking that if we can just change how people are acting, if we can just change how people are living, then it'll solve all the problems that they've fallen into. But if we are honest with ourselves and we're honest with the teachings of Paul throughout the New Testament, then we can admit that that is really only looking at and dealing with a symptom. Dealing with symptoms. All behavior has a motive. What is the motive? Over and over throughout my life and ministry, as I speak with people and they open up about all of their struggles, it becomes clear to me that they are doing what they are doing because they are searching for life. They are doing what they are doing because they are trying to find love. They are doing what they are doing because they are trying to find meaning and significance for their life. Or they're trying to numb themselves because they haven't found any significance or purpose or meaning for their life. Or they're dealing with the consequences of the choices they made in trying to find love, in trying to find purpose, in trying to find significance. For their life. And because of the truth that we now have in Jesus, we have the opportunity to have these conversations with people and to go beneath the surface, past the symptoms, and get to the root of all the hurt, all the pain, all the mistakes that have been made. The root core is people asking, Why am I here? Why am I here? Is there anybody who will love me and care for me? Is there anyone out there who will accept me, not for what I can do, but simply for who I am? It doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you're rich or poor, if you're outgoing or shy, we all want to be loved. We all want to know that our lives matter. 
We all want to know that there is purpose and significance to our lives and who we are. We all want to be accepted. And that is exactly what the gospel does. That is what the gospel offers. It doesn't go after all of the different behaviors and all the different consequences that come about because of those behaviors. It gets beneath the symptoms to the root and the questions that we are all asking, the things that we are all searching for. And all of it, again, is answered in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself who came to establish a relationship with us, a creator who not only wants to restore his creation to himself, but to have such an intimate relationship with them that he wants to dwell within them. Now that is life transforming. That is life giving. And this is the type of relationship that God has wanted with us ever since he created mankind in the Garden of Eden. This type of closeness. It makes me think of Isaiah chapter one. where We read this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God wants to dialogue with us. He's not afraid of debate or hard questions or different perspectives. He invites us to unpack each of our fears and our struggles and our messes. He wants us to show him our confusion and to invite him into our mess and to have us say, Father, show me what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Lead me in the way that you would have me to go because I know that you have my best interest at heart. And this is the type of relationship, this type of closeness. It's available to everybody in the world through the person of Jesus Christ. But we often struggle with this. Many of us have been taught that God is angry with us and that there are a mountain of things that we have to do in order to gain and to keep his love. It's sometimes hard for us to believe how loving and how merciful and how forgiving and how gracious our God really is. And in moments like that, I encourage you to remember this. Quit giving the devil power in your life by believing his lies. The enemy is constantly calling into question the true character of God. And wanting us to think that God is, you know, just standing there cross-armed waiting for us to mess up so that he can quickly put our names on the quote-unquote naughty list. But we don't have to believe it. We don't have to believe that lie. God is not like Santa Claus. God is not like Santa Claus. There is a God, and he looks like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. Jesus came to show us the Father. So anytime that we hear the devil lying to us about God or about ourselves or about the way that God sees us, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I don't know who it is, but someone here today or someone watching online needs to hear this following truth. God runs 
after rebels, not to squash them, but to invite them back home. Receive that message because it's true. So back to our text in Colossians, verse 28 again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul wrote, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Notice Paul's usage here of his and he. So there's, there's a dynamic here between God and Paul so that Paul was able to do all of the amazing things that he did throughout his life in ministry. Now, if, if you want a quick snapshot of what Paul is talking about here when he talks about his toils and his struggles, we just need to flip over to 2 Corinthians 11 where we find he wrote this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And if that wasn't enough, he's got a pastor's heart. He's got the pastor's burden. I know a lot about this one. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You know, I love y'all, right? And I care about you as a person, but I also care about your connection to Jesus because I want you to experience the abundant life that he so freely offers. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. But if you look at all this stuff that Paul went through, it was a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> like a daily nightmare. And how did he get through it all? He didn't just suck it up, grit his teeth, and try harder. He tells us there in Colossians 1.29, he said, I struggle with his energy, and I make it through because he powerfully works in me. Yeah. It's God's power within us that makes us more than conquerors. And this is the topic that I want to spend a few more minutes on. This is the topic we'll wrap up with today because I believe that there are two great enemies to the true gospel message of righteousness by faith. Number one is that we think Christ brought us salvation and now it's time for us to work real hard and do our part. I mean, how many times have you heard that in a church setting? God did his part. And now it's time for us to do our part. That's the first enemy. The second one is that God did it all, and so now we just sit on our hands and passively wait for the second coming. Both of these perspectives, they miss the mark because they lack nuance. They lack nuance. When it comes to Christ's work on our behalf, yes, it's complete and it's done. He stated that on the cross. It is finished. In Christ, we've been made complete. 
We're righteous, we're sealed, we're accepted, we're loved. There is nothing more to be added to the work of Christ for our salvation. Yet, according to Paul, he says we work out our salvation, but the nuance is, as he said in Colossians 1.29, is that we labor according to his power and his energy, which is working mightily through us. And this is the great tension that exists within the New Testament. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I labored more than any other apostle. Yet he quickly added, but it wasn't me. It was Christ working in me. So we don't want to run on our own power, on our own energy. Neither do we just want to sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for God's power to show up. Instead, we tap into his power by faith. We exercise our will. We step out. We get committed in good works, knowing that Christ is working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2.13 for those of you taking notes. And this reality here is why Paul could make such a bold statement in Galatians 2.20 where he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is a cooperation between creation and creator. It is a holy, sacred, and intimate communion. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he or she who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Christ wants to express his life through you and through me as we live and walk by faith. This is the gospel message. And I've got one last verse just to really drive this point home. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, many people might interpret this verse in a certain way, but that Hebrew word there, kavah, kavah, that's translated as weight, it means to bind together by twisting. To bind together by twisting. So imagine a rope braided together. That's the picture that this verse is painting. It doesn't mean sitting there just waiting, twiddling our thumbs, waiting on the Lord in this context is intimately wrapping and binding and twisting with our Father. And as we do it, he renews our strength by exchanging his life for ours. Isn't that beautiful? That's the power that Paul is talking about in these Colossians 1 verses. This is the call of Christ. It's a call into partnership with him. Depending on his power and strength and wisdom and love, 
to walk this thing out in faith, to be his ambassadors, to be living letters, showing others what life in the spirit is, what the abundant life is, and that they can have it too through the person who is grace named Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As we close, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's message. So pull out your phones and take a picture of this week's secret place practice. God has placed certain people in your life so that you can be his ambassador to them. So this week, write down a few of the names that you have a burden for and pray that God would unveil opportunities for you to introduce them to the love and truth of Christ. Then move forward in faith, believing that the Spirit will speak through you. And the accompanying text is 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Before we have our closing prayer, I'm going to invite Mike to come forward as our elder in charge for today. He's going to stand at the foot of these steps. After the benediction, I will step down to the foot of these steps. And if there's anybody here who has any specific burdens, any specific requests, maybe you've just got a praise, something amazing that God has been doing in your life, and, and you just want to share that, then we would love to talk with you a little bit, hear from you, and lift that petition, lift that praise up to the throne of grace. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we can know what grace is. And not just as a doctrine, not just as a theology, not just as a teaching, but as a person. And as we experience grace, we thank you for what it brings and the changes that are manifested in our lives because of it. Because of Jesus, because of the person that is grace, our minds are renewed. We're given new hearts and we become new creation. So Lord, we look forward to all that you are going to continue to do in our lives through your spirit. And as we go through this next week, we pray that you would give us opportunities to share this good news with others, that we would give, be given opportunities to reflect your love and your character with somebody that needs that message. So Lord, we give this to you and we give ourselves to you. And we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.